I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I will be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. And today I'm joined by a businesswoman, a champion of the rights of women and girls around the world, a philanthropist, the founder of the Alwyn Foundation. All of this, as well as being a mother and a wife, Samantha Robedo is with me today. We're going to be celebrating International Women's Day by breaking down some of the myths involving feminism and women, some of the perceptions of a woman's role in the world, and what might prevent women from achieving their dreams as well as much, much more. Sam, welcome to the interview. It's so fantastic to have you here. Thank you, Trudy. I'm delighted to be here with you. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. But first of all, first up, uh, I'm judging by your accent, you are not Maltese. No, I'm not Maltese. No, I am originally from the UK. Okay, so how long have you been in Malta? Uh, we've been here for five years. Okay, and this is home or is the UK still home? No, no, Malta is very much home. Um, we moved here... Uh, full hook, line and sinker, literally, um, pretty much on a sailing boat, uh, although the boat was already here. So we were bought, we were bought by uh, love of sailing, but um, also with the foreboding of Brexit. And uh, we, we decided to make Malta home. It was a bit of a leap. It was a jump. It was an adventure, uh, which it all has been. Fantastic. I mean, I, I, coming to Malta is always an adventure. I came myself 15 years ago. It's different to the UK. It's very different to the UK. But it's absolutely brilliant that you've made this your home. Now, as I mentioned in your introduction, you are a woman who has a huge heritage of different activities, different um, areas of, of passion. And I just want to jump straight in there. And I want to ask you a question that I'm always wanting uh, to ask women who are in the limelight when it comes to championing women's causes. Um, would, first of all, would you consider yourself a feminist? I would consider myself a feminist, although I know it, for some people that's a sort of, I don't know, almost a dirty word. Um, but I, yes, because I champion equality and that is what feminism means to me. And so, okay, so my next question was, how do you define feminism? And that's, you've just said, it's equality. Yeah, it's equality. But do you think everybody gets that? Uh, no, I don't, not at all. And I think that it still has the kind of shroudings of the sort of 70s um, around it as a word and as a term, but it's, it's, far more than, it's far more than that. And really, feminism is for everybody. It's not really just for women. It's, you know, we need to call it out because we need to uh, recognise women's rights. And so we need to separate ourselves in that way because it is obviously still not an even playing field. But feminism is for everybody. You can be male and be a feminist. Okay. Well, let me, let me touch on this then. If that's the case, why does the term feminist cause a large portion of society to roll their eyes back and as you mentioned before about the 70s immediately assume that feminists are wearing dungarees they're liberals why do people feel threatened by it I mean where does this come from because we love a stereotype and there's one wonderfully there that you've just said dungarees shouting bother boots kicking at the door short hair you know, lesbianism, you know all of these things are really outmoded and, and, and dated and um I think that uh, many people have woken up to the idea that that isn't, you know, that feminism isn't 
those things anymore. It's just, it, you know, that there's a sense that there's... <sighs> but do you think people really have woken up to it? Because people still are threatened by it. I think it depends where you are in the world. I think some places have woken up more than others. Um, you know, the, the, the outdated associations... Um, of feminism uh, certainly don't exist within the community that I, you know, my family, my friends, the people that I work with, the people that I would spend time with. So let me ask you, how how comfortable in in kind of social circles, obviously with your family and your close friends, you'd feel very comfortable turning around and saying, I'm a feminist. Do you think that you'd be comfortable saying that to anybody? Because there are still these kind of perceptions of what feminism is. Yeah, no, I would. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would. Um, you know, and I, I, I don't know how to shrug the, the, the you know, the fact that it um, causes, you know, other people distress. Um, I think we have to speak up and I think we have to speak out and I think we have to be true to ourselves um, and, and educate and explain, you know, and understand why it causes, you know, alarm for other people because really it's we're talking about humanity and we're talking about um respecting you know gen gender and you know the equality between gender um and the humanity of women so we, we but we've gone straight into the controversial because you mentioned before feminism just being about equality and you've just mentioned there that it is what society should be so why are we not equal and why are so many parts of society and different different countries, different um, political scenes, or whichever, different business environments, why are they threatened by equality, by this feminism? If that's what feminism means, it just means equality. Why is it such a threat? That is such a huge question, Trudy. Um, why is it such a threat? Um, because we essentially still live in a patriarchal society. So I think that there are... Uh, approximately 132 million girls who are not in education and I would imagine that has significantly in increased um, through the pandemic um, if countries were to educate 10% more of their female population it would increase their GDPR by 3% so from an economic perspective it does not make any sense not to educate girls Wow. So why? So it's a huge question. So why are, are, are girls you know, maligned from education, cast out from education? I mean, there's poverty. I mean, depending on what, where we are globally, poverty, conflict, gender inequality. I mean, those are the reasons that girls don't have access to education. But it would change the world, literally. Do you think men are threatened by that? I, I, I mean, you talked about, you mentioned the patriarchal society. And we're going to come to, in a second, into the uh, Olwyn Foundation because you've touched on a couple of subjects there that I think are relevant to that. And I'm really excited about that. But before we get there, I just want to just finish laying down the groundwork here because if, if the case is, if, it, if it's globally beneficial that more young women are in education, let's put the pandemic aside for one second because that's a whole issue on its own. Why is it a threat then for more women to be in education? Why are women not in it? Do you think that it is a threat? Uh, I think it's incredibly complicated. In each individual country and society and community, depending on uh, their own innate laws and practices. So it's hard to sort of, you know, to answer that really on a global perspective because mm. it all needs to be unpicked. 
all of the gender stereotyping, the roles that we're brought up with, you know, what defines being a girl, what you do in the home, what defines being a boy, you know, how you're expected to behave. We sort of have to unpick all of that and start at the beginning. So is that something that is, uh, you know, on your agenda, a passion for Sam? For the, the, because you, I mentioned the Olwyn Foundation, which was set up in 2018. Um, and it's, it's in order to protect the rights of women and girls around the world and help them thrive. And I'm assuming that education is part of that. What are we, where are we talking about? You mentioned different cultures. You mentioned that this is a global problem with local uh, implications, local issues. So where, where does the Olwyn Foundation fit into this? Because I'm dying to find out what you're doing. And you've got a big smile on your face. So it's I obviously do. very, very passionate for you. Uh, I, I do have a big smile on my face. I'm really um, proud of the work and the partners that the Olwyn Foundation has um, created um, over the past two years formally, but a little bit longer than that. We've done, or we've partnered with um, many organisations internationally who are working, say, specifically Women for Women International, who work with women in conflict regions. Um, we've also worked with ActionAid, we've worked with Refuge, uh, Orchid, uh, which is a female genital cutting uh, organisation. And actually, that was a very interesting journey for me because I didn't really know very much about female genital cutting. And um, I... I'd been supporting some of the larger charities and realized on this sort of exploration, this, this journey that I was going on, and this was a personal journey, which then translated into Orwin, um, was that actually really female genital cutting is the beginning of everything. That's the place that we need to start because girls as young as four and five uh, are cut in various countries around the world. And that means that, well, first of all, they, they, they never have an understanding that they actually have a right over their own body um, because that's taken away from them before they've even matured to understand necessarily what their bodily functions are. But secondly, that is a often a pre prevents a girl from going to school. And so it starts then. Now, you started talking about the Oldwyn uh, Foundation and we started talking about what you did and you stopped on this topic. Uh, and expounded on that, which suggests to me that this is a real point of passion for you. Why is this in particular such a point of passion for you? I think it was because, like I said, on my, on my journey into understanding how, how, how girls are not accessing school, this seemed to me when I came upon female genital cutting, I came to understand that this was the starting point for many girls not accessing school. Because if the practice is carried out, um, you know, unhygienically, a, a, a girl will then suffer with urinary tract issues, with um, menstruation issues, with, you know, potentially not being able to carry babies, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, and infection and all sorts of things. So it was just, it was an, it was just an, the reason I'm so, I'm very passionate, I'm passionate about all of the things and all of the partners and, you know, and organizations that um, I've had the privilege to work with. But it was a very interesting point of learning for me to see that your rights are taken away before 
you even know you have any. And our bodies are our own to do with what we choose. So aside from this area, what else are you involved in? What else is your touch points that you are really passionate about seeing change in? The One of the other projects which is really close to my heart and that um, the Owen Foundation has been involved with uh, very significantly for the past three years is, is the Child's Eye Foundation. And that's an organization that is uh, based in Uganda. And their mission is to eradicate orphanages. Hopefully the template in Uganda will be as remarkable as it's proving to be and will be something that could be potentially rolled out globally. There's so much evidence that being raised in institutionalized residential care is uh, has significant impact on you know a, a young adult's life when they're at the final point when they leave. Um, and certainly in Uganda there are many many children who are in orphanages who don't need to be there. Why are they there? Often because of poverty, often because of illness in the family, um, often because there's too many children, and so one child is the youngest will be placed into an orphanage. Um, so again, it's a reflection of societal, you know, pressures and economic issues. Um, but that you know, the Child's Eyes Foundation's mission is to um, place children back in with a extended family member because a child is so much better off being um you know with with a family and not in not in care that sounds like a very very complicated issue because of course you have if a child has been placed in care because of uh economic issues in the home uh you know not enough money for to feel feed every every mouth every family member then, of course, you have larger issues to resolve there than just, uh, you know, um, taking the, that child back into a home situation. You have, obviously, providing for that child as well. It sounds an incredible project. It sounds like a powerful project because, of course, we all know that what happens in the formative years of a child's life is going to affect them forever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what Child's Eye Foundation does is they have a team of social workers who, um, y you know, would will follow through when any child is is um, is re rehoused is the wrong word, but re you know when they're reconnected with a family member, and it could be an ex you know an extended, it could be a grandparent, um, and there's an awful lot of support that's given both sort of in you know stipend, in milk, in you know additional food, um, and and real you know follow up. That, that continues afterwards. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I was in Uganda a couple of years ago. The, one of the uh, orphanages that I visited, which was a massive complex, um, a sort of compound, uh, when, I, when I visited, they had approximately about, about 20 children who were actually in, living in the orphanages, but they were feeding, they were doing a feeding program, and there were about 400 um, children who would come in ranging from the ages of like 2 to 17, 18, who would come in for a, for a breakfast feeding program. And over the course of the two years that I have been there, that um, orphanage has been, tran has, been um, has transitioned into a community hub. So all of the children have been re, um, you know, rehomed with family. And the, the, um, 
the center has become a place where women can where women can come and they'll learn skills they learn you know learning sewing um there's you know place there's sort of men's groups there's sort of a, it's a training um and community support hub which is the most extraordinary um, use of an, this incredible premise, you know, this premise. So it's really exciting. They're now using that as a sort of, as a template to be able to roll that out, say, look, this this worked here and this can work in, you know, another district. This is an incredible success story. And it I is an incredible I, success I story. I love seeing and the Alwyn, big smile on your face. And Olwyn, why, so, why I'm so proud, because Olwyn, um, we funded... Uh, well, we're now up to six salaries, but we basically have funded over a period of time, over a period of three years. Um, it started with four, but it kind of got divvied up into six salaries, which has enabled um, Child's Eye Foundation to be an entirely Ugandan-based run organization with a Ugandan CEO, which is really exciting. And they're beginning now to be able to fundraise in, their in, in, in Uganda, which is extraordinary. So it's, it's really amazing to see that progression uh, and partnership. Sam, where does this come from? Because your face lights up. Where does this passion for change? Where does this, where does this uh, passion to 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 improve the lives of uh, lives of young people, of young women, and older women as well? Where where does this come from? Is it is come from a personal place, or is it is it just opportunity? Or uh, I was brought up with um, always having a sense of choice about what I could do I knew I could choose I mean I had to go to school I had to do this there were certain expectations of me but I always felt that I could choose and I think that's an extraordinary tool um skill to be able to make choice choice for yourself choice for your friends choice for your family um and I think education is key and I'm very privileged that I had a you know, access to such an, a good, it wasn't, it wasn't extraordinary, but it was a good education. And so all of those things combined have made me see how we um, can affect change. And we can, even by changing one person's situation, it's possible and it's extraordinary. And it's also really our, something we should all be doing. And it doesn't have to be monetary. Um, you know, just speaking out for somebody, supporting a friend, going out of your way is is what we all need to be doing. It's compassion, it's love. Well, you brought that right back to an, a, a local context, a European context, because we in Europe, for the vast proportion of, of society, we have the privilege of education. We have, we don't, we're, we're not... Uh, facing orphanages in the same way that we're talking about. You're talking about Uganda and, and these countries that have these challenges. But we still have issues facing women. Now, I'm going to talk in a second about the gender gap and the gender gap locally here in Malta as well. But before we get there, but I have a feeling that women are striving for a better life, for, for more opportunity. They're striving for equality. I think every woman... Uh, would be, if your definition is equality, I think every woman is a feminist. Mm -hmm. And as you said, obviously, there's an awful lot of men who are feminists as well. But I have a feeling that one of women's worst enemies, in inverted commas, is our own gender. 
because I, you, you talked about women building other women up. We're not we're very good at that. If we have see someone take a position, uh, or a boyfriend, or a, I don't know, uh, you know, someone looking good, we are not always the very first person to say, "Hey, well done on that," you know, because we have been. Uh, kind of you know conditioned to be competitive with one another yes we have and we have to practice and we have to try harder and we need to um we need to support women we need to acknowledge and celebrate the successes even if we might feel a little green sometimes uh so yes okay so yes we need to support each other and that can be difficult to do sometimes and i think we can feel envy and you know inappropriate jealousy and those are just feelings um and we need to take action and what we all need to do i think international women's day uh, theme this year is um choose to challenge and it's we got to choose to challenge ourselves in a, in all our actions be it standing up be you know for others be it gender inequality be it not celebrating our friend's success when we really know in our hearts that we should i mean we're responsible for our own actions um and we need to i think we just need to probably try a bit harder do you think people are is it changing well i see change in myself that's a really good place to start. So, so I think uh, that, yeah, it is a good place to start. And we can only, I suppose, practice what we preach. Um, I work really hard to connect um, n- not just women, but people. I think that's one of the things that I, if, I, if you said, you know, you, ha- you have a superpower, what would your superpower be? My superpower would be that I would, uh, I'll always go out of my way to connect somebody with somebody else who I know will, will, they will learn from, they'll benefit from their experience. And I'm always the one who will ask because, it, you know, you're asking for some five minutes of someone's time and the only thing they can do is say no. So I think that uh, we, need to, we need to keep asking. We need, to, we need to keep connecting people so that we can all benefit from that. We'll all reap, reap the benefits of that. We're going to come to uh, International Women's Day in a second because what you've just said has motivated me even more on that topic. But I just want to touch on what I said a second ago and about this encouraging each other. Uh, In a recent discussion, the topic of gender uh, gap in business came up with me. I was talking to somebody about this. And despite Maltese women making ground in today's world of work, the island still ranks 91 on the WE's uh, 2018 index and according to the European Commission's 2019 country report uh, on Malta, the nation's employment gap remains the largest in the European bloc despite recent advances. Moreover, the entity's report on equality also published earlier this year the underlines that the women account for less than 10% of board members in publicly listed companies. So one solution, and this is why this discussion came up, because there was a a statistic saying that that one of the solutions uh, that has been bantered around is gender quotations, whereby a company is obliged to fill management roles uh, with a certain percentage of women. Um, I'm going to ask you, do you think that's the answer? That is such a huge question, Trudy. Um, It is a global, obviously it's a global issue. I mean, the gender pay gap... Uh, I was reading um, 
won't be closed in our lifetime or in the lifetime of m my children, our children. Um, so we're talking at least 100 years to see any priority there, which... Which is, is equality. It's is feminism, equality, which is mind-boggling, which is just sort of... Um, that obviously doesn't mean that we don't give up. Uh, you know, I have been um, self-employed here in Malta in so much as... Um, I haven't had to, you know, I haven't worked. I was going to say I haven't had to work in a in a corporate setting, um, really ever, because I've always worked in sort of creative and 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 more charitable. Um, I know that you know extraordinary um, women, Maltese women who are, uh, you know, high achievers who have their own businesses, who, you know, are creating amazing things and, um, you know, really forging a path for for change. Uh, and I, I guess all we can do is is to, what I can do is to continue to support that. Um, I don't think it's bleak. But but this gender gap is not is not just a, just to qualify that it's not just a Maltese issue. We have, I mentioned it in a, in a Maltese context, in a local context, but of course as you've just mentioned and really shocked me. Uh, that this the gender pay gap, which mm -hmm. is another issue, is not going to be resolved. Uh, for another hundred years, no. and you're not talking about Malta here. You're no, talking, no, I'm about talking about the world. everywhere. But I'm also, also, um, you know, if you look globally, only twenty-two percent of, um, you know, the country's leaders are female. Which is a real shame because they're really good, actually. They are really good. They are really, really good. And it, <laughs> is, like a real, it is a real shame. No, it is a real shame. So it is a global issue. Of course, it is, and and that's why. International Women's Day is so important. I mean, every day is Women's Day, as far as I'm concerned. But why do we need a day? Well, we need a day to celebrate the achievements of women. And we need a day to highlight this increasing inequalities and the gender, you know, the gender pay gap. Um, we need that day because we need to remind everybody that it's, we're a long way off. Well, I love the fact that you just answered my next question because I was about to uh, talk about Women's Day because, of course, we are in, we are celebrating today International Women's Day, um, uh, which is celebrated every year on the eighth of March. And I thought to myself, this is you know this is something from the seventies. This is something from the the dungaree wearing. But this is not. This dates back to nineteen oh nine. So uh, International Women's Day has been around for more than a century. Now, with the the positive note in that that since Women's Day has existed, there has been amazing change in women's roles yeah. and women's rights. And, I'm, and I loved what you just said there, that Women's Day is, is a reminder that that's what we're striving for. That's what we need to continue doing and celebrating what's gone before us mm -hmm. and what we want to come in the future. Do you think everybody understands that? Because Women's Day you know, can be perceived as a bit fluffy. Yeah, no, I think it can be. And I was I was thinking today, I think some people probably mix it up with Mother's Day because they're kind of close to each other and sort of why why are we why is there this day? I mean, I for me it's a really important day, which is why I pushed to have an event this year despite um, you know, the COVID restrictions, because I think it's so important to acknowledge it. But I think some people probably do think it's fluffy. And I think some people think, well, 
you know, exactly. It's sort of, um, it's Mother's Day, it's fluffy slippers, it's, you know, hallmark, and it's really not. It's a global movement. I mean, in 2017, women were demonstrating all over the world. They actually, st you know, went on strike for the day. And, of course, the United Nations uh, began celebrating the day in 1977, remembering that women are important and we're remembering, as I said before, what's gone before and what still needs to happen. And connecting women. I think it's so really important, you know, reminding, you know, women of the, imp of the importance of being connected and, you know, encouraging, encouraging us all to ask that person, you know, well, you know whatever it is that you want to ask them, really, you know, utilising the power and expertise um, of, of women. And I think it's, to me, that's what it's about. It's like, you know, like I said, I think asking for somebody for five minutes of someone's time, um, I'm sure mostly they'd be absolutely delighted anyway to share their experience. Um, but I think there's something about connection and really feeling a part of that connection. And that you can make change. And that's the thing, we all have to stand up and we all have to you know, be accountable. And that's when, you know, when you asked, I can't remember the question, but when I said, well, I, you know, I have, I feel I have changed. And I feel, you know, I'm a little bit older, but I feel that com even compared to this time last year, I feel much more confident. And perhaps that's it. We need to give each other confidence um, that we're not a sort of band of screaming banshees, but that we are... Um, Speak for yourself. You no, know, I know. Well, you know, you know the, the stereotype... Um, but that you know we have the you know we have the confidence to speak up for one, one another and to support each other uh, to move forward and to make change and to call things out. If you don't like the sound of it, if it doesn't fit with you in the room, then it's okay to say something. Sam, I have really enjoyed talking to you. I feel I do feel genuinely inspired, and I'm pretty much we're going to sure that we're going to have this conversation, a conversation like this again uh, here on the interviewer. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, happy Women's Day, International Women's Day to you. Thank you and to you. And I really enjoyed it too. I'm actually really smiling. <laughs> it's, been, um, it's been great. It's been, a really, it's been a really lively discussion. So thank you. Until next time, thank you very much indeed. Mm -hmm.